Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the March issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled, What Does the Drought of 2022 Mean for Lactating Pairs in the Spring of 2023? To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the author, Dr. Carla Wilkie, who's a Nebraska Extension Cowcast Systems and Stalker Management Specialist. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Wilkie, as we've talked before, this has been a kind of a winter where you hope you don't see. We had a drought followed by uh, early snow, cold temperatures, uh, feed quality has been short, the amount of feed that's, has been short. And now as we look at where we're at, many producers have used up or used much of the harvested feed they planned on for the spring because they weren't able to graze crop residue or native range got covered up. And so we're looking at a place now where a lot of folks are thinking, do I have enough feed to get to spring? And then also I may have to turn out early. And that kind of creates a scenario that creates some challenges for us, especially as we think about February, March type calving cows, cows that normally would be kicked out maybe early to mid-May uh, breeding on pasture. There might not be very much pasture out there. And so in this article, you just talk about some strategies to think through with that. Yes, the range ecologists are recommending a delayed turnout, which I know that people don't really want to hear because as you just mentioned, they're out of a lot of our harvested feed resources and they're really counting on that pasture. But if you look at the droughtmonitor.unl.edu, the whole state of Nebraska is either extremely dry or still in drought, even though we've had a lot of snow and there's good moisture in some of that snow, the soil profile is so depleted of moisture that that's going to delay some some grass growth. We're concerned about that. So if we have to delay turnout and we have to feed that cow, you know, there's some things we have to think about in that. We have to figure out how we're going to meet her needs for lactation. We want her to return to estrus. And then we also need to feed that calf because as you just mentioned, that calf may have been a March born calf. And if we're not on grass in June, then he's three months old and we need to be meeting his needs for, you know, dry matter intake as well. One of the things you mentioned in the article, and again, I think we know it, but it just, it always gets my attention wherever I see the numbers that the change in a cow's nutrient requirements from late gestation to peak lactation. And so as we think about that mid-March born calf, that cow's nutrient requirements are really peaking about 60 days post-calving. So if we think about a March 15th born calf, you know, that's May 15th. If she's going to stay on a 365-day breeding cycle, uh, she needs to get pregnant around 80 days post-calving, which is, you know, about the 1st of June. Normally, if we're turning cows out on green grass and there's quite a bit of forage there, that's an excellent resource. It'll meet both her protein and energy needs. She's actually probably gaining some weight. But this year, with our drought conditions from the last few years, the availability of grass may just not be there. No, it 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 may not. And there's some dire concerns to that, really, because that energy requirement increases over 50% from late gestation to um, peak lactation. And, you know, sometimes those cows do lose a little weight during that calving to when we can turn them out to green grass, and then they really take off on that. And the, there's two problems I see. 
this year. One is that a lot of cows are very thin. And so they are not going to have the extra reserves that sometimes they do have that they can use from the time they calve to when they get out there on grass. And then that grass is not there. And so we're going to have to meet that need with some harvested feeds or um, something. So, you know, one of the things that producers have asked me in the past is, um, well, if I save the best hay and then I increase my winter protein supplement, you know, that's what I do. So again, that will meet her protein needs, but doesn't meet those energy needs that we just talked about that skyrocket with lactation. And so again, that cow is probably in a normal year still losing a little bit of condition, but she may be in a body condition six, and then she's maybe in a five when she goes to green grass, and then she takes off again, and and she cycles, and we're good. But if we're delaying turnout, and we're talking, you know, three months of that, then that's not going to work. In the article, you highlight just some examples of some rations people can consider as they think about meeting that cow's needs. And, you know, you you give your example, cow is a 1,400-pound cow, and I, I think that's real. I think most cows today are not 1,150, 1,200-pound cows. And so the size of that cow, the amount of milk she can produce, she's going to take quite a bit of high-quality feed to meet her requirements. Yeah. And I guess the reason I use that 1400 pound cow in there is because you're right. We don't have as many 1100 pound cows as we think we do, but when they go out to grass and it's all ad lib intake and it's all good quality, we don't really worry about that. But if I've got a 1400 pound cow that I put in confinement and I'm going to feed her like she's an 1100 pound cow, we're going to have a wreck. And so, um, if you, you know, trying to make sure that we're covering that cow is, is critical. Um, because she has got to return to estrus. And if she's losing weight, it's it's less likely that she's going to get bred in that situation. So I did provide in the article an option for a total mixed ration. If a person had a you know way to get in either um, ground hay or they had a way to grind hay or residues, roughages, something, and some silage and some distiller's grains. But the reason, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, why do you always put silage and distiller's grains in there? Well, a wet diet, some some moisture to mix with some really low quality roughages like ground up cornstalk residue. Um, the moisture really helps keep that ration together and increase the consumption, less sorting of those roughages for one thing. But for the other thing is there's a lot more energy in silage and distillers grains than there is in the roughages. So I'm using that to provide some of the the energy needs and I'm using the distillers for the the protein. There's other commodities that a person could use, but those are usually a couple of things that you can get a hold of to mix with poor quality roughages fairly easily that we can put together something to to meet the needs of that cow. One of the things you mentioned in the article that I think is important to remember because we often don't think about it is the amount of feed that that young calf is is consuming. And so, you know, if we yes. typically thought about a calf that's a couple months old, just, you know, it's eating a little bit, but not very much. But once we get to three months, they are really starting to pick up their dry matter intake. And, and you mentioned the importance of being aware of that and then some management options for dealing with that. 
Yeah. So I've had situations where I help people put together, you know, a ration for confined pears because they didn't have grass for them. And then, you know, a couple months later, they're like, well, I, you know, I'm feeding that, but these cows are starting to go downhill. And I'm like, well, did you start accounting for the calf intake? Well, nope, they didn't. And so honestly, I mean, it's a real thing because then they're competing with each other and that's a struggle for the calf and it's a struggle for the cow. So the calf will eat about 1% of its body weight, uh, one to one and a half in forage dry matter when he's about three months old. And so in that ration example that I gave with the silage and the distillers and the roughage in the, in the article, that's about a 50% moisture ration. So that 300 pound calf would need another six pounds of feed for himself on an as is basis in that. So you're, you got to figure out, you know, I need this much to meet the cows like needs and her energy needs to, so that she's not losing weight. She hopefully starts cycling again, but then I've also got to feed this calf. And we've done a lot of research where we feed the calf with the cow and we feed the calf through a creek gate and um, the calf will actually eat in both locations. And so you really kind of have to account a little bit for that. But if you have a creep gate that allows the calf to access their own ration and you're able to put together um, a second ration that doesn't have the low quality residues in it, maybe it does, maybe you save some of your better hay to mix in with that calf diet. That would be a fantastic option to do. I know that's not something that's feasible for everybody, but that's something to think about. You can do you know, a commercial creep feed and a creep feeder for the chaos, but you're also paying for pelleting and bagging or, you know, other things with that feed. And so that can be more expensive than mixing a a bulk, you know, a diet from bulk commodities for that calf. So I think it's important for people to, um, you know, kind of pencil out if this makes sense. I know people don't want to hear me say that you may need to sell pears, but you know, it's still very important to kind of pencil out what it's actually going to cost you to feed the cows. Anything else on this topic as we point towards wrapping up? Well, the other thing about that calf living in confinement is that they really do need a space that allows them to get away from the cows. You're going to have some increased pathogen load exposure. You're going to have to keep an eye on the calves to catch any illness that you might have because they are a little more confined. Um, they, they need to be able to reach the water because not only are they eating, but they're drinking water for rim and development too. They probably need a windbreak or a shelter for them. And so, um, kind of thinking through what can you provide for that calf since he's in kind of an artificial environment would be, um, very critical. We do have a, a neb guide out on managing, uh, confined pairs. And so they might want to Google that and look that up as well. Um, the other thing is I would suggest if producers think they're going to have to do this, that they visit with their veterinarian and they develop a herd health protocol and make sure they're on the same page of what they need to do to prevent illnesses, but then also treat them should they encounter them, but then also to work with a nutritionist or a beef focused extension personnel to develop diets appropriate for confinement, not only from the energy and the protein side of things, but a good um, mineral and vitamin program too, because as we've discussed, right, these, these cows have had a horrible winter with limited feed and that's all been low quality. 
And now we're not going out to grass. And so a lot of those vitamins and minerals are really important to um, reproduction, but also to immunity in that camp. And we need to make sure that if we're in an artificial setting, you know, and they're not out grazing that, that we are also providing that with the diet. Dr. Wilkie, a timely article. Appreciate your input on this. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, there's a number of different resources on this topic.